This is Entheogen. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. And I'm Kevin. So we've been discussing uh, our psychedelic experiences or entheogenic experiences real. We've been talking about an interview with Patrick Lumborg, uh, who wrote a book called Psychedelia. And, and you know, we're, we're saying how the, the, the spheres of psychedelia and, and taking psychedelics in the sphere of Eastern mysticism have been overlapped and, and maybe as a root for why, you know, people might think of psychedelic experiences have having been real, but maybe no longer real, or considering that experience as sort of like a shortcut way of getting to enlightenment. Um, and in, in in this uh, interview, he said it happened twice in the early in the late fifties and the early sixties, where um, it was being compared to Eastern mysticism, the psychedelic experience, taking LSD specifically. But that the idea of maybe it's cheating sort of actually came out later in the 70s as that that era was closing. And he, <laughs> Patrick Lundberg, has very strong opinion about this. You can you can tell. And he, he his opinion is basically that it was all these kind of burnout hippies who were thinking that, you know, they couldn't handle it anymore or they just sort of formed this idea that, you know what they discovered in in other ways like yoga or, or Eastern mysticism alone. What they were getting out of that maybe is what they were looking for from the psychedelic experience in the first place, or got clues clues into, and then they started kind of denigrating the whole psychedelic experience itself. So he was saying that the overlap of the two sort of happened twice. Early is like maybe this is a context that people can understand who haven't done LSD or hadn't had a uh, psychedelic experience. And then on the other side of that same window of time, people who are leaving that world consciously and, and then speaking down upon it as cheating or, or you know, that it's, it's a less than, you know, kind of way of getting to a higher, higher realm or higher place. So why would it be a lesser way? That's, that's what I want to focus on. I mean, you know, if there is kind of any relation between the psychedelic experience and, you know, Eastern mysticism, um, you know, if let, let's assume that they take you to the same place. I mean, so is it considered cheating to pop a pill as opposed to, you know, do the, do the mantras or there, there's, I have, uh, I, I go to a regular yoga class and I've had this discussion with my yoga teacher a bunch of times. She's never done, um, she's never done any psychedelics and, uh, and this, I don't know, this is something we've gotten into so many times and, and I get that feeling from her all the time that it's not only is that it's cheating, but that it's because it doesn't require self-discipline that it's not like that, that the experience is not as meaningful because you didn't truly earn it. And where I can see her, I can see her point in some way in, 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 I guess in the meditation sense where it's like, the better you get at it, the more discipline you have at it, uh, you know, the, the more meaningful your experience can be and whatever. However, I still think that's also when you're talking about something, I, I don't know, I've, in my meditation experiences, it seems to be like a very focused and also limited thing. Whereas I think the, the psychedelic experience is like, like you said, like maybe they have a lot in, in common, but but there's definitely a part that they don't have in common. And there's an entire like, like this creative magical ride that you're taking on that I don't think or at least I've never experienced in meditation maybe I just suck at meditation <laughs> reminds me of uh, something I remember um Terrence McKenna saying uh back in the uh 
era where he was uh, putting out these MP3 files in the 90s. And this was like a, a predecessor to the modern uh, podcasts where he would just put these uh, rants that he did on stage, you know, out there on the Internet. And there were sites you could go and just like find these these files. And um, he would talk about how, um, you know, sure, you can you can use drumming and dancing, ecstatic dancing and, and uh, you know, meditation and all these other techniques to achieve similar results. But, you know, we don't have time for that. Like we, we need to like we need to evolve more quickly than that will, you know, than that will happen. So, I mean, that's he, he was, you know, furthering that that same kind of attitude that it's a it's a shortcut or it's, it's cheating in some way. Yeah, yeah, well, also, it's, it just it, 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 the second that your concentration is broken. I mean, for anyone who's done meditation, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. Because as good as it can feel it, when you hit a, a stride, it's like the second your concentration's broken, it goes to all shit, you know? And and uh, that's not something that happens to you on a psychedelic. I mean, the, the substance is in control. And uh, in, a, in a certain extent, as mystical as your experience is, I mean, you're still a passenger uh, on that experience. Yeah, when I first read the question or considered the idea, is it cheating or, you know, how could they be compared or... Um, the first two things that came to mind was uh, an interview with Eric Clapton where he was, I th I'm sure it was kind of like maybe Rolling Stone or, or a mainstream media source of the question. So his answer might have been a bit, you know, given the source of the question, but they basically asked him about his drug use and what he thinks about it now. And he sort of answered in the same way. He's like, well, you know, it, it was a way to get to a place, that enlightenment or a higher higher way of state of being. And so when he first started traveling through India, he had his, all his LSD with him and he was very interested in learning about Eastern mysticism. So this is kind of representative of the first part of that overlap that uh, Lundberg talked about. And in Be Here Now, he you know, pretty plainly says towards the end of the book that through yoga, he for him, that got him to the place that he was looking to go. And basically with LSD or, or other psychedelic experiences, what he didn't like about it was that there was, a, there was an up and a down. Like there was a way to get high, but there was always a return from that high to his current state. Whereas he felt like with yoga, he could kind of get high and then always be high, you know, paraphrasing obviously. And it, to Joe's point, though, I think the, the thing that's most important is what is the intention? Like, where is it you're really trying to go? And I feel like what Lundborg does a good job of, you know, in these interviews is he, he just says they're different things, you know, and it, they, it's silly to compare them. And it was maybe a mistake in the first place to try to compare the two because, they, you know, they're just they're different. Why try to say they're the same? It reminds yeah. me of talking to people who who just have never like had a sip of alcohol, you know, or um, who who just you know quote unquote don't smoke weed or something like that, uh, and and never have, you know, and they just know that they're not interested, even without having had an yeah. experience with it. So the most it, frustrating thing in the world, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like I don't want to push anything on anybody, but how can you dismiss something without ever having tried it? It just this seems uh, yeah. weird. Well, well, Lundborg gets at that. I thought that he makes a really good point about that too, about like the the, the kind of the cultural impact, right? That that there's, a, particularly in the United States, a tremendously conservative group of people who who have that opinion, and they're scared to death that the rest of society or that too many people in society are going to try those things. I mean, like that, that like he, I think he hits the nail on the head with that one. It's like. Uh, that it's, I mean, especially politi politically in the United States. I mean, there's there's no other way to explain the United States uh, drug laws uh, if that you know with, without that interpretation. 
analyzing that stuff is so so tough though i mean i i don't know how you can like assign any kind of um like systemic uh intention to like a political system you know it's just like i mean it's it's kind of amazing that anything happens at all um do you think it's really like an uh, undercurrent of like you know take just like, like I, cultural, I think so I think, that, yeah. I think there's an undercurrent of of conservatism especially when it comes to uh substances i mean especially because i think those i mean if you look at like the you know, even the East Coast. I mean, there's like a cultural legacy of Puritanism, of of uh, of kind of like I, I think it's tied to the religious conservatism of the United States. I mean, the United States for a first world country is far and away the most religiously conservative. Right. And it doesn't matter what the religion is. And I think there's the uh, in at least in uh, in a modern interpretations of religion, it's like drugs are considered a bad thing. They're, you know, I mean. I think if we if we were left with an indigenous interpretation of uh, you know spirituality, perhaps that would be a different case. But but we have the Judeo Christian uh, interpretation, and uh, it was actually pretty interesting. In uh, in Albert Hoffman's book, he talks about that when he after inventing acid and or synthesizing acid, and then becoming interested in the whole field of psychedelics. When he started studying uh, psilocybin, he took this famous trip to Mexico to collect uh, mushroom samples, and uh, he found it really hard, and this was, in, I guess, in the 1950s, he found it really hard to get locals, uh, Indians, to take, to take him to places where there were mushrooms because they had been uh, conditioned over so many years to be afraid to talk about that with, uh, with the white man, with a, with, a, with a Christian. The former crusaders. Yeah, exactly, because those people, like, you know, what they did, uh, or any of the, the conquistadors or any, any of the uh, colonials coming after them was like that, that was be, like b- b- terrible behavior. It was like they considered that to be like their relationship with the devil uh, was represented in their eating mushrooms and the behavior they displayed when they uh, did their uh, mushroom, mushroom ceremony. So it was something that they managed to keep intact but that they hid it really, really well. Yeah, or, or, you know, you could look at it cynically and it's, it's almost like um, it, it potentially undermines the, um, the power structure of, of the, you yeah, know, absolutely, of the absolutely. church. Sure, 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 sure. Which Perfect. was, yeah, that was driving a lot of <laughs> behavior of the church. Right. <laughs> yeah, self-preservation was, was, you know, yeah, a big motivator. Yeah, there's, a, there's part of this, uh, an interview in the, the Reality Sandwich article, uh, and I, I liked the way he kind of framed this, where he said, people who use hallucinogens do well to imagine quests and states within their spiritual path that are specific to the psychedelic experience um, and stop meddling with Buddhism and Hinduism as though there was some shortcut between the two. There isn't. And then he goes on to say, you can save yourself a bit of time on the Eastern path by taking psychedelic drugs. But after, after that, your work towards nirvana will have to be done with the realm of uh, Hinay- Hina- I'm going to pronounce all these words wrong. Mahayana, uh, Vahrayana, as the, the psychedelics veer off from the Buddhist path at a fairly early stage um, and set course for their own goals, uh, which are full of colors and visions and very strange experiences. And that, that, that rings true. So I was, you know, you guys know Monica is going uh, to yoga teacher training. So she's sort of immersed in this culture of yoga right now. And I was talking to her about these questions and she was kind of informing me about the, the eight limbs of yoga. So yoga beyond, you know, just the, the physical popular practice of, you know, um, Vipassana and, and, and yoga in a more larger sense of 
Of, yeah, the spiritual part. Yeah, and like how the goal of yoga is meditation. You know, getting yeah. to a state of meditation through yoga, how like one of the, f- the, the first of eight limbs is where this would come into play. And that, sure, yeah, you can get insight into these things, these places that you want to go. But to get to, you know, nirvana or a, a, a someplace in that, it's the psychedelics aren't the way to get there. But they can sort of open this window to this world that may seem really alluring. And, you know, it's not going to take you all the way there. And I, I like how Lundborg says, you know, that's cool. They're just, again, he goes back to the fact that they're just different and that he really kind of um, is fighting for um, psychedelics being represented as their own quest that's worth pursuing and that there's so much to be gained in, uh, you know, in their individual experiences and to go and, and come back. And in the article, he makes reference to um, the, the Terrence McKenna, the, do you guys know the, the fisherman analogy where he's talking about how it's like when you take psychedelics, we're like fishermen, we go out into the dark sea. No, no, I haven't heard that. It's, you know, and he's saying how it's, it's our responsibility to, to fish for ideas and not the small ideas or not the overwhelmingly large ideas, but, you know, beyond just enjoying the experience for ourselves, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon us to go into these states of mind and to come back with something new and original and to share that. And, uh, and you know, it's, I felt like that was also kind of, where, what Lundborg was getting at is like there's there's good work to be done here and there's a lot of fun to be done here. How, how about how about I mean and I, and I speak from my personal experience. I mean maybe if you grow up in uh, you know in a tra- in a traditional Eastern society or something, and you're exposed to these ideas from a young age and you're also exposed to them in a in a certain natural setting that uh, awakens a certain sensibility in you. Uh, fine, but I mean for me. Like I, I'm a hundred percent certain that all the things I do now, from the way I eat to the fact that I go to yoga, that I'm interested in meditation, all of these things start with with an LSD experience, because mm-hmm. it it was an awakening. It's an awakening, and it creates uh, a, a sensitivity. Then it's, it's a it's a fork in the road, and and I and I, yeah, I, w- I would say I, w- I wouldn't even. There are things I can compare from them, but it's like, what? Why? Why is there a need to choose one over the other when they're both great things? And and that for me, one is responsible for the other. Yeah, I think there's a lot of overlap, or at least some overlap. But um, there's definitely a whole area um, that you know where, where entheogens benefit uh, or could potentially benefit people, and uh, it's often ignored as just like. You know, they're just a different way. Like they're just a replacement for meditation or yoga or whatever. Guys, I wanted to mention, like, while I was reading the article, I thought Lundberg uses a term that I've never seen before: is psychedelicist. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I wanted to bring that, that too. I thought that was great. Ever? I was like, <laughs> it, it, it makes me sound like I'm like more educated than I was. Psychedelicist. You know? <laughs> like, 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 I, I get like a master's that I wasn't aware of. Somewhere. <laughs> I highlighted that one word to make that exact <laughs> comment. I totally agree. That's a great <laughs> word. Show notes are like psychedelicist. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. As I was reading, I think I was kind of coming from a place and maybe it's just sort of the context and you need to make sense of it or I don't know, not to make excuses for for having the the first reaction that I had. But I do kind of feel that maybe it is all kind of talking about the same thing from a larger 
human perspective and a larger human experience perspective or a larger, you know, being a sentient planet perspective where, um, like, I, I want to kind of like in this sort of in this way that like all religions, I kind of believe are getting at the same thing. And it seems like we've wasted a lot of time and lives throughout history arguing between the religions that it's, you know, we're, we're all kind of talking about the same thing. <laughs> Same Sorry, thing. I just, I just, I just got. I heard, just heard George Carlin's voice in my head saying, "Like, if you look at history, God is the leading cause of death." Right. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and I wonder if, like, you know, whether Nirvana and the idea of like a psychedelic induced ego death, like, really big picture, when you kind of zoom out, what if that is kind of the same thing? You know, what if we are kind of getting at the same sort of realizations or experiences? Um, and that when we try to get down to the specifics, there it's clear that they're different. Um, and so, I, you know, in reading Lumberg's views, in the back of my mind, it's I've sort of been holding on to this, like well, I don't know, like how different are they? Like I don't know. What do you guys think of that? I, I, I guess I, I mean I, I agree with you there. I mean I, I think they'll uh, like we said there's there's a Venn diagram here and there's a, a ton of stuff in the middle. Uh, and I would say those, those experiences definitely. I mean I think when you're when you're meditating or when you're on uh when you're having like one of those moments of clarity on a psychedelic experience you get that um i don't know what, what i talked about one time on one on the first or second show about this inherent value system that seems to come out of it you know it's like i i was uh my yoga teacher's teacher uh was kind of like a famous yogi in spain he was he gave an interview last week and i uh, was watching on youtube and he was talking about how um through meditation and everything, or or I guess through, he was talking about the concept of dharma and so on, and he got to a point where he said, you know, it, uh, these these how important it is that these values are awakened in society, and these are values that that we all uh, carry inside of us. We just have to be um, we have to tune into them. But he said, you know, it's like why why would I why would I hurt uh, someone else? Why would I physically hurt someone else when when I'm only hurting myself when I do that? And <laughs> I think like you know. That's a really cool, really high-minded concept, and I, it's a concept that uh, com- comes from these these both experiences. I think you can get you can get it from from either one. They do have that part in common where you get to this like the the, the core uh, human philosophy. You know, it's like it's it's something that's there. It's dormant, and you got to like get all the shit out of the way that's that that's that's blocking it. All the things that of uh, that you know our modern society is kind of put in the way. But I think like, yeah, absolutely. Those, you know, and what you said about ego death and things like that. I mean, they're like core experiences that I would put right in the middle of that Venn diagram. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's, uh, so they're tools that we can use in, uh, you know, to, uh, like to very like viscerally demonstrate these concepts to people that, uh, have only ever learned of them through reading or, or sermon or something like that. You know, it's, it's like you can just give somebody this experience where they can just feel how everything is connected, you know, uh, rather than just hearing about it. Well, apart from hearing about it, it's like, if, I mean, if I were a good Christian or a good Jew or whatever religion I followed, it's like, I wouldn't hurt somebody because I'm following the law that I've been taught. And if you follow the law, you're good at the religion and you're a good Christian or a good Jew. But that's not, that's not what it's really about. It's like, you're not actually feeling it. You're not actually, it, it doesn't come from you. It comes from a, a need to comply with something that you believe is correct. Yeah, you don't you don't you know? know why you, you're doing it exactly. You're, well, you're do, you know why you, you're doing it out of fear, and that's not really a good motivator, you know. 
I mean, yeah. it's, well, it actually, it's, it's a great motivator. It's effective, but it's effective, but, yeah, it's, effective, but it's right. <laughs> it's not, not the nicest. Uh, yeah. Yeah, hey, absolutely. I, th- I just think it's, it's something that, uh, that, you know, when you, when you have those, those moments in a psychedelic experience where you're overpowered by that type of, uh, a sentiment, it's just, it's just like, it's like, wow. It's like, why the hell would you need a religion in the first place? When you just, I just got it all right now, you know? <laughs> Everything makes a whole lot of sense right now. Yeah, Cult- I understand. Cultivating the divine within. Yeah, I just, I just met Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> we just had a long talk. I get it now. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, I don't know, like my cynical mind goes right to the idea that, um, you know, like most or all religion is based on people who've had those experiences uh, directly and have decided to try and keep them from everybody else and leverage those, uh, you know, teachings uh, to, you know, to maintain their own power structure. Really? I think it's, but I think the original person usually in the religion is not doing that. Hmm. I think the original person, like in the case of Jesus, or something, is just, is just going around just telling everybody about it. Right. Then and then it's like a group that believes in them, and then somebody's like, "Hey, <laughs> we can use that. Let's, let's organize this." Yeah. You know, right. the dogmatization of it. Yeah. I don't know if that's a, a verb, but yeah, you know. Well, exactly. Oh, then the then the, the the guy comes around who who uh, who says like, "Well, you know, let's let's make rules based around what this guy's experience is instead of actually having an experience yourself." I think in in Monty Python's The Life of Brian, that's. That's articulated well, where he's sort of penned as the, penned as the deity. He's like, "No, leave me alone." And he's like, yeah. he tells them all to fuck off. They're like, "How shall we fuck off, O oh Lord?" <laughs> <laughs> the introductory question that we sort of kicked off with is: Is the psychedelic experience real, and does that question have merit? And you know, for me, it seems pretty clear that yes, the psychedelic experience is real. You know, I think. Does that question have merit to me? Is anybody who could say no to that first question? I don't want to hang out with them. <laughs> right. <laughs> In that sense, that question has merit. But otherwise, I don't know if it does. Like, I mean, yeah. well, like what is the argument of no? Like, like well, it's it's all in your. Have you head. come across that? Like, it's, have you come across people who would argue that the psychedelic experience isn't real? Yeah, I mean, even even people who've who've had the experience, you know, there are there are people who who would say, well, it's it's not real; it's just in your head. Um, which I mean, it's just not a good argument for me because it's kind of like, well, that it's seems, all, it seems it's all to in make your head. it pretty real. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it's it, in it, my it, head. How the fuck did it get in there? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and that's and it kind of gets at the the core uh, reason as to why I think these things are so interesting is because. You know, it gets you thinking about that stuff. It's like, how how did I just have the experience I just had? Like, did that come from within? Did that come from outside? What's the difference? Um, you know, and, and it's just kind of like it, it actually is a um, is a, like a tool for exploring um, what it means to be real. You know, and think like it's it, it's it's an interesting question in a very like meta way. So when people just dismiss it as like, well, no, it's not because whatever I said so. Um, you're right. I mean, as people, it's just a non-starter. I have no interest in, in like, you know, continuing that conversation. Yeah. Joe, don't you, don't, don't you guys think that that comes from, in, in my experience, my, my analysis of that, that whole thing, because when, when you have this conversation with someone who's never done psychedelics and says they never will, uh, I, my feeling is that they always relate it to the next closest thing to them, which is like alcohol. And so they, you know, I mean, typically they can't understand that in a psychedelic experience you could actually have an experience and and actually remember it clearly. 
and also take something from it because the only thing the, the nearest uh, metaphor they have is is being drunk and then waking up the next day and feeling bad and like not remembering half the stupid shit they did. Well, I think and that I it's think also it's the, what they relate to it. Yeah, they they may relate to like just recreational, you know, drinking, but I mean, I think it's also just the fact that they really have no context for it, like no concept of of uh, what it would be like. Um, and there's a lot of fear associated with it just because of how weird it, it seems, you know, based on, I don't know, based on the you know cultural kind of like perception of it. It just seems weird. It seems like, um, you know, uh, scary, like frightening. Don't, exactly. And don't, don't you think, I mean, the person who, who thinks that it's like, it's probably better that they don't try it because they probably have a terrible time. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that, that'd actually be pretty funny. I'd like to give it to them. And then when they start, you know, like freaking out, be like, feels pretty fucking real, doesn't it? <laughs> well, this is the other aspect too. Like, is it, is How it real cheating? Does that feel? Is it, you brought up like discipline earlier, right? I mean, you know, cheating and, and versus like the discipline, cheating with psychedelics versus the discipline of like a yoga practice or something to get to the same place. But for those people, um, taking, you know, psychedelics is requires some discipline. I mean, you have to kind of get your, you know, you have to get right with yourself. You have to kind of like get to the right mental place and the right, um, you know, I mean, you have to set it up in some ways. It's not quite just popping a pill wherever you are and, you know, you're going to have the oh. same experience. You have to really set that up for yourself. Yeah, I think it, it also takes discipline, like, you know, especially when you're in a more potent uh, trip because they're, they're just, you know, you have to you have to write yourself <laughs> from time to time, mm-hmm. you know, or, or else, uh, you know, things, things, things could get hairy. <laughs> I think it's worth um, the effort of like those people, you know, th- those people who, who think they're not interested. I mean, I wish there were a way to get those people to, to, to try it, you know, and, and get it. I don't know. I think that's, um, maybe we could force them somehow. <laughs> in, uh, in be here now in when Ram Das is talking about being in India and, and coming from having done a lot of LSD and really, you know, sort of believing in that, so to speak, he, he meets this guru and the guru, you know, you know, I wasn't there. I can't speak to the facts of the matter. But according to Ram Dass's experience and what he wrote about in the book, the guru was like, give me your magic, you know, like show me this thing that that's so important to you. And and I think he had the LSD in pill form, but he basically <laughs> empties the whole bag of pills. This like a. Uh, this yogi and just does this mega dose and sits there and, and it, you know, doesn't affect him at all. Like, so he does all this LSD and, you know, and it, playing a little bit of devil's advocate to the way I think we all believe in our experience. That it was something that I read that I'm like, what, like, how could that be? You know, it's like, and if, and if that did happen as factually, it was, it was reported, it could potentially give credence to this idea that maybe it's not real. Um, but you know, it's just, Counter counterpoint. There's there's another part of um, the the reality sandwich interview uh, where c- kind of getting at is it real and where does that come from and where does that attitude come from and he and so in this I'm, I'm reading the the interview the condescending attitude towards psychedelics among converted Western yogis and sadaks that you describe as sort of the standard Oregon ashram view that came out of the second wave of modern psychedelia meaning the counterculture we uh, wave and all the 1960s, 70s acid head hippies. Um, and a little bit later in the interview, he says, I believe the kind of conclusions, quote unquote, that a lot of these people reached concerning their psychedelic trips were merely the natural outcome of an incorrectly defined path. 
which that that resonates with me. That's like, yeah, if you're going into it thinking that you're going to have this some sort of religious revelation and that's really what you want, if that's what you're getting out of it, sure, you're not going to find that, but it's this is sort I thought this was interesting insight into, you know, where does that attitude, that collective societal condescending attitude towards psychedelics come from? And he seems pretty uh seems to feel strongly about this getting back to like the the validity of something like uh you know with a, with a psychedelic in terms of it it, it taking you uh to you know to a certain place the rejection of it because it's like a an outside stimulant i mean it's the same thing that happens to you right like i mean if you're in the middle of the forest and you're overwhelmed by the beauty of the forest or a mountain or a beach or whatever it is it's like is that not real because you didn't like meditate your way there you know, I mean, it's it, uh, yeah, some like outside spontaneous, spontaneous yeah, enlightenment of some sort. Yeah, and I mean, every and I think that's something that you can. I had this talk with a group of students uh, last week where uh, they're they're each presenting, uh, giving like a presentation about something that they're like an expert in, and in the end, I they <laughs> they kind of put the ball in my court. They're like, "Well, you got to do one too," <laughs> you know. And I had no idea, like, you know, I thought about it for a while and I was like, well, you know, I'm on, I'm on this bend about this whole thing and I can't talk about psychedelics, obviously, so I'll talk about yoga. And that was kind of one of the things, uh, it, it's like, you know, how do you talk to a 15-year-old kid? You know, they're, they're ready for it. I mean, their mind's ready for it, but it's also a yeah, lack of experience. And But I mean, I think that the, the way that I found to kind of open the conversation was to have them think about that. It's like, when was a moment that you uh, had that kind of like time stopped and you were just like, man, this place is amazing, <laughs> you know, that kind of moment that, that, that actually felt completely present uh, in, in a moment because, you know, your, your mind shut off for a second. You weren't thinking about the past or the future and you're just able to be uh, overwhelmed by the beauty of the surroundings you're in. And it's a universal experience and no one would deny that that is I don't know that 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 that's part of your your innate spirituality, right? Or the opposite end of the spectrum. Like I think the the type of people who, you know, you're alluding to, who have this sort of rigidity in their beliefs and a lack of uh, uh, you know, interest or motivation to kind of <laughs> form an original thought or, or challenge themselves or, or try to grow in in maybe a spiritual way or some other way. Uh, it seems, you know, that given the the incidents in the Western world of anxiety and depression and, and et cetera, that for a lot of people that that that's very negative. That experience, it's a breakdown. You know, it's a total breakdown when you're forced into presence. When all of a sudden you can't just like go buy your five dollar coffee and go to work and come home and watch your reality TV show and life throws something at you that absolutely breaks you down that for a lot of people kind of becomes the beginning of their spiritual awakening. Um, and it's just like, man, you know, from a society perspective, we're not making this easy on ourselves, you know, just evolving and growing and becoming more, uh, you know, individual, you know, true to ourselves people. It's, 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 yeah. in the best case scenario can be a spontaneous thing. Like, yeah, you're in the woods, you're overwhelmed by beauty. Um, but for a lot of people in, in the world we grew up in, I feel like it's, it's not so, not so pleasant. Hmm. That's a that's a good flip on the situation. I hadn't thought about it that way. I, I, I it, this conversation takes me back to uh, the the summer Joe, the, the mushroom trip in the woods. Yeah. And it just just thinking about like how cool it is in that indigenous 
South American culture, for example, that, that that was like your rite of passage, like you're you're going from an adolescent to an adult was having like your first trip and I'm sure having your mind blown of just over just how unbelievable everything is. You know, it's, it's like I hear, speaking of hearing voices, I hear Bill Hicks in my head saying, you know, to, that he took what Terrence McKenna would call a heroic dose. Right? <laughs> that, uh, you know, and he's, he's like, and I sat there in the mountains and I, the only thing I thought was, I love everything. <laughs> and it's like, you know, having that experience, being an adolescent, like, like how incredible an experience would that be to pass into adulthood and then have... You know, and, and Joe and I were talking about this in the summer or in the woods, and I was just like, I, I, like, I want to do this with my children. Like, I want to do this with my children when they're at the right age. Like, I want I love to share this experience with them and be present for their mind-blowing experience and just taking in, like, how how fucking amazing everything is, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and, and just leave all your stupid, petty shit that's in your life behind and just realize for one second just how goddamn beautiful everything is, you know? Right. It's a, and it's uh, a great rite that, of passage. Yeah, what a fantastic rite of passage. And then, you know, we talked about, you know, from that, it's like, well, how would that affect their life afterwards? And it's like, well, it'd be, a, it'd, it'd be like, you know, taking a gap year to like travel the world in like one day. Right. right? It's like, like now I'm ready for college, you know? Yeah. And, and, and apart from that, it's like, it, it kind of, ha- like we said, it's, it's got this, like, there's like this inherent value system it creates in you. It's like, you do that to an adolescent and it's like you've guaranteed yourself like an adolescent who's who's just going to be more conscientious about things and not not destroy shit, you know, and not pollute and not do all these all these things that you know singularly are annoying and like when we do them on a collective scale just like ruin our planet, you know, and ruin our society. And it's just an easy way to like weed out those behaviors. You know, from simple, some, something as simple as like not littering, you know? Yeah. It's like instead of spending like hundreds of millions of dollars on stupid education and ad campaigns and everything, it's just just start giving 15-year-olds some, some mushrooms and let's see how, how quickly the streets clean up. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's such a like opposite viewpoint from the from the fear though I think that like people have you know they just think that that uh, this is like a reckless behavior that this is oh, a, yeah, you know, know it's like it just seems like it, it's not constructive and it's uh, but I totally agree with you I mean I don't I don't see how that could be bad for somebody of of the right age you know like of that of the, sort of yeah. angsty adolescent kind of age. You know, yeah. and it's like you just you have that experience and you, you just see that like, the world is much bigger than you, probably right when you need to learn that, you know, and, sure. and you, and you kind of get the scale of things and how, where, what your place is and, and just there's so many things that can teach you at, at that, at that age. Um, yeah. I mean, I wish uh, society would support that more, you know, can you, like you were describing like indigenous cultures, like have that kind of rite of passage, you know, it's like and the adults are cool with it. I mean, that just seems like mind boggling yeah. for me. It's like that the, 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 your, you know, your peers, your, your aunts and uncles would be like, so wh- what did you think? You know, <laughs> like, well, I mean, Joe, it's kind of like what happened at your wedding with your dad, but like, you know, true. just on, just on layaway. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. At, at, uh, at Joe, Joe's wedding. <laughs> this is one of the, this is one of the great moments of my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at Joe's wedding, I uh, you know I gave a I gave a speech and I like roasted Joe about uh, starting this I smoke weed dot org website when we were in high school, 
and uh, it was one of the things I mentioned, and I made like some some pot jokes, and then, like <laughs> Joe's parents, who have always like been really conservative and like very you know just normal American parents about like drugs and everything else. I'm I'm walking through, I'm walking down the back steps, like a couple hours after the dinner, and everybody had been like you know drinking for a while. Then and Joe's dad, who's a big guy, barrels into me and like crashes into me out of like coming from out of nowhere in the darkness, and like bear hugs me and gives me a big sloppy kiss on the cheek, <laughs> and he goes, and I'm like, what, what you know what what's going on here? And he goes, he goes, I want to tell you something. I want to get high. I want to get high with you, and I want to get high with my son. <laughs> what a beautiful moment in the family history, you know? Like absolutely beautiful moment. And then we did, and it was like all the dudes in the family got together, and and I and me, and uh, we sat around a fire and like you know smoked some pot together. And I was like, like how fucking cool is this? Like why 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 have we had so much like? bullshit over this for so right. many years like hiding things and feeling weird and like just all these stupid emotions related to something so stupid and then at the end we're all sitting around the fire smoking and it was like a great bonding experience and it was like a moment of union yeah and at the same time it was like totally normal you know and it, and yeah. there was nothing like nothing weird, weird about it. yeah <laughs> just an absolutely normal thing to do and I, I like how you you've pointed out also it was almost like like he had had this um like intention for years like to yeah. to like break down that barrier and he just it was like a burden on his shoulders and sure. he finally found through you know the just the the family and friends gathering the the you know sacred kind of circumstances of the wedding ceremony and your speech sure. and the lots of alcohol finally found the <laughs> moment you know it's like like and he just was like it was like a relief you know and it's like by, that, by the, we have society to thank for that, you know. It's like in this yeah. in, in this country, I mean, that we just like we create these barriers and it's just like these circumstances that are so unnatural and like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a real. It, it could be so much better. <laughs> and then and then there was there was the priceless moment of Joe's dad teaching his brother in law how to use the carb on the pipe. <laughs> he goes. <laughs> He goes, uh, James. There's a there's a carburetor on it. <laughs> I just That's I hadn't amazing. heard the full word, and so I was like, oh yeah, it is a carburetor, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's uh, there's a you know I mean like why wasn't that a rite of passage? Like why didn't he take us out back when we were 16 and be like, kids, <laughs> it's time to grow up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Put on the Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> and pass me the raisinets. It's <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah, when you guys were saying before, like the at the right age thing, at the right age, in my head I was kind of wondering, well, what is that? You know, it was, and it, it reminded yeah. me there was a part of that interview where he he. <laughs> it's actually one of the more kind of poetically written parts of the interview, and at the end of it, he he touches on that specifically. But this is the part where it says, "The psychedelic trip rips apart false dichotomies and dualisms like they're a wrapping paper." Presenting you instead with an inner space world where everything is three different things at once and everything is in flux. Spend enough time in inner space and the joy and magic that goes with it and everything that used to be rigid and uptight about you will fade away and be replaced by a person who is both more mature and in a paradoxical way more childlike. This is what happens to most people when you take psychedelic drugs when they are young but not too young. And then in parentheses it says, you should be out of high school. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that is a great excerpt from that. It's 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 perfect. 
It's like everything that's yeah. so good about the experience, and sure. uh, even even recommends like when you should do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just impresses. You should be out of high school, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're smart enough to graduate high school at age sixteen, do it at sixteen. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Doogie Hauser got fucked at twelve, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, like I. I, when I read that, I thought that was unbelievable. It was like that. It's one of those instances where you're like, "Fuck, man!" Somebody said something I think all the time, and I don't know how to say it. You know, and it's like, yeah. it's like how how great was that? But I, uh, I, I think I found myself over the last uh, few years, as some of the things I was talking about before, just kind of hitting my stride, like professionally in my job and everything, and just trying to like dissect like well what part of this is like just maturing and like what part of it has to do with that and i just i I just think they're so interrelated there's no way i could possibly separate them but i've just noticed like that that thing about being more mature it's like i i just feel like the difference in a few years ago is that there just seems to be a lot more time now like when something's happening when i'm teaching and i'm in class and something happens there just seems to be so much time to respond to it there's just so much that goes on in my head like while it's happening that that didn't happen before. I was much more like reactionary, and, and at the same time, I also just feel like I have a lot more fun because of that childlike aspect he talks about, where you're just yeah. kind of able to connect to that like child in you all the time. It's like that you don't you don't just like you're not like a child, and then you become a teenager, and then you become an adult. You're like you're still all of those things at the same time. Yeah, it's true, and it, and. The process of maturing is almost a process of like rediscovering your uh, your 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 uh, you know childlike sort of nature. You know, it's like we sure. we 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 grow up and we like morph into something that's you know like has all these neuroses and like you know it, yeah. it, it, ineffective the child exactly. And then we we rediscover it and and uh, honor it and it's kind of interesting because it's like fractal. You know, it's like you you start off as a this helpless child and like you know if you grow old enough you you turn into like this helpless old person. I, I uh, while while you mentioned that it's like this is like nonstop reference day, but you you reminded me of a another brilliant Carlin piece that I've just pulled up and <laughs> that must be read. And he says the most unfair thing about life is the way it ends. I mean, life is tough. It takes up a lot of your time. <laughs> what do you get at the end of it? A death? What's that? A bonus? I think the life cycle is all backwards. You should die first. Get it out of the way. Then you live in an old age home. You get kicked out when you're too young. You get a gold watch. You go to work. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. You drink alcohol. You party. You get ready for high school. You go to grade school. You become a kid. You play. You have no responsibilities. You become a little baby. You go back into the womb. You spend your last nine months floating. Then you finish off as an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Not an absolutely brilliant piece of comedy. Oh, God, he's great. He he covered so much ground that like you just think like, how come no one else thought about that before he did? I mean, he's just an absolute genius. He's he's like a, a he's like the head genius. You know, he's just amazing. Yeah, another another guy another guy who has like uh, nothing but great things to say about uh, his psychedelic experiences. Right. You know, another another guy who took who took an absolute a lot from it. I think it's like. I don't know. It's 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 inspiring to see somebody like a brain like that uh, mixed mixed with the right experiences. You know, absolutely. I'm glad he found his way to psychedelics. Yeah. So, what do you think? Did George Carlin say that the psychedelic experience is real? I, I imagine he would. Would he say that that question has merit? 
that's a that second part it, it kind of gets me does the question have merit it's like it seems like well for me it does <laughs> but uh i mean i don't even know so so what is that what does that second question mean like is it worth considering whether the psychedelic experience is real i mean is I it think I, so right yeah that's how i read it yeah does the question yeah. is the psychedelic experience real uh, is, have is it, merit yeah is, is, it, it, worth is it worth asking I think, I think Brady said it best. It's like if it's worth asking to just weed out the people who, who don't agree with it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's but that's that's where I get that's where it stops me. Like I'm, I I have this like trigger in my mind. It's like, and and maybe it's from the this the, the psychedelics or the whole yoga thing. It's like I, I I'm always trying to like not exclude like people right for for one reason or another. Because it seems like the great fault of all religion, right? It's like when Carlin mentioned god being the leading cause of death in history he was, he was talking about that it's like that that uh that that f- fascination with one aspect and this need to like exclude people right and it's like well do you believe in god no dead do you believe in god yes do you believe in my god no dead i wasn't you know? saying i was going to kill the people who said <laughs> no. i just don't want to have a beer with them and talk well, we want to thank everyone for listening to Entheogen. We've been discussing whether the psychedelic experience is real. For more on this and other topics, tune in again at entheogenshow.com. Once again, this is Joe. This is Brad. And I'm Kevin. <laughs>